Welcome to the Naked Ambition Podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and design all over the world. This show is brought to you by the team at Naked Ambition. We are a design-led innovation company, partnering with some of the world's smartest companies to help them solve complex challenges and design new futures. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. I'm so excited today on the show to have Aaron Smith. Welcome, Aaron. How are you going? Thank you very much, Fiona, for having me. Going well, pretty well. Yep. News of the lockdown is, has been confirmed now, so, you know, you just got to get used to what's to come. I know. Not your first time to the rodeo with any of this, though, so it's no. pretty well equipped. <laughs> Correct. It's just like <laughs> roll your eyes. All right, oh, let's I get know. through it. Push through. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. We'll get into some of that as well, how you coped last year with that, because I think that's sure. a great innovation story. But for those of you who are out there, um, I'm sure there are plenty of KX fans that are tuning in. But if you don't know about KX Pilates and just a little bit about Aaron as well. So Aaron Smith's an award-winning fitness innovator, entrepreneur, and the founder of KX Pilates. KX itself is based on the philosophy of Kaizen, which is Japanese for continuous improvement, which is super appropriate for an innovation podcast, I think, as well. It was founded by Aaron himself back in Feb 2010, and it's now Australia's largest Pilates franchise. You've got over 75 studios across Australia, I understand, now in Jakarta, heading over to China, expanding in there really soon. So just unbelievable growth. In more recent years, Aaron has also held the role of CEO. He was CEO rather. He's moved into Chief Innovation Officer and then just in 2021 has stepped into the role of Chief Cultural Officer. He's going to be able to give us the whole spectrum here. From a personal perspective, I'm a recent convert of, in the last 12 months, to the cult of KX, and so really excited to hear about Aaron's story of just constant innovation and really amazing growth. It is truly a great Aussie innovation story. So welcome to you, Aaron. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Do you want to even just take us back of where, you know, where this story of innovation started for you at KX? Tell us a little bit about the origin story. Origin story. So, look, I think innovation's been ingrained in me probably since the beginning. But, look, it was probably to 2006, 2007. I basically changed my entire life through fitness and health, changed all my subjects at university. I was doing a science degree into exercise physiology. I was a personal trainer and uh, completely got my, my hands dirty in that kind of world in the gyms and really loved it. But I saw the personal training world, extremely saturated in Melbourne. The classic case of someone opening a personal training studio and building it up to be successful and then their trainers were basically their their business and then the trainer, being a trainer, always wants their own thing, I think, at the end of the day and they would just go off and open another personal training studio and take their clients with them. So I, I was seeing this happening in terms of the business world but um, and I didn't. I know that that's what I didn't want to do, but owning a business has always been something that I'd wanted to do from a very early age. My father had been in business for 45 years and really ingrained in me that, you know, getting ahead in life, you know, the easiest way to do so was to own your own business. So I kind of grew up with that in mind. I started traveling when I was 2021. 20, I'm a big snowboarder. So I started over in Colorado, followed my brother's footsteps to uh, the illustrious world of Beaver Creek uh, in Vail, Colorado, uh, where I was a personal trainer and snowshoe instructor at the Park Height. 
And there I really learned, A, I mean, personal training in, in, in Melbourne was, you know, you could do a six-week course and become a personal trainer, but over there, you know, you're doing degrees in, in personal training. And so I was really held up to an extremely high level. And from there, I was on and off there for two years, and then I went to London. In London, again, you know, saturated with the world of fitness, working in gyms, paid nothing. I was also, I did a bit of a stint of exercise physiology and um, uh, sports science in the in Deakin University in Melbourne, but looking over there, there's no money in that. So I kind of just kind of went on the search and I just, you know, fortunately stumbled across an ad for a dynamic reformer Pilates studio in um, London's West End. It was called Butte Camp Pilates at the time, uh, which then later changed to Boot Camp Pilates. Uh, we were the first studio of its time, came from LA. Our boss was a client in the studios in LA, brought the, the style to, to London. And, and uh, we were basically the first studio there. And, and that was really, you know, it was a really interesting time. I walked into this studio. Uh, it was in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. Like it wasn't on the main street or anything. You actually had to find where to get it. It was really hard for clients to find, but that made it even more kind of illustrious and boutique. It was in the West End, so very high in clientele. And I just fell in love straight away with the style of fitness. Pilates in Australia was very physio-based rehab, but this, you know, the, the music was pumping, group class. The clients were already fit, healthy, active already. It was just that mindset versus the gym world where you had all the different ranges and i was sick of writing out a, a diet plan for someone and then on the following monday checking up and they told me you know how much rubbish they didn't over the weekend but these these clients just you know they worked hard they trained hard and it was just a great kind of world to be a part of so I fell in love with that straight away i knew that that's what i was going to bring back to australia in the three years i was there i worked my way up to head trainer of um of the studios and then by the end before I came back home, there were five companies doing the same style of fitness, same style of Pilates, which were our trainers that went off and did their own studios. I learned also a lot of the time over there what not to do in business because my boss at the time didn't realize what, what she had and the potential that she had. And, and a lot of people came to her, clients and trainers saying, hey, we want to get involved. And she kind of sent them away, wanted to do everything by herself. So she realized later down the track that a lot of her trainers became a competition and then myself came home. So I came home in 2009, uh, $20,000 in debt to my father, told myself I wouldn't go back to working in gyms or, or even in the fitness industry until I, I opened my own studio. I lasted three weeks back in the bar and gaming world, which was a previous life in my teens until I sat my father down. I was like, dad, this is what I, what I want to do. This is my passion. And um, he just saw, saw the kind of glare in my eyes. So three weeks later, we're in the bank manager's office. Uh, his bank manager had for years and he guaranteed my first loan for 120 grand. Six months later, Hags Pilates Melbourne was open, which was pretty crazy. You know, I'm happy to talk about how, you know, how that started as well. And, uh, but that's basically from where it came from to, to opening. So from uh, 2010, first studio in Malvern, and yes. then 75 in 11 years, incredible growth, you know, unbelievable, plus, you know, thinking about moving to that franchise model. Was that always on the cards in terms of growth or how did you get to that decision? Yeah, it was. Um, look, I opened yeah. the doors and I had, no, I had no idea about business. I knew I was a fantastic trainer and that I could create a fantastic experience that clients would come back to. So we were never a model where it was a membership model. We were always class pack. So the accountability is held on the business, on the trainers, on the studio to provide the best experience so that they come back. 
the first year, 18 months was really, really hard because a in Melbourne boutique fitness wasn't around then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, F45 really paved the way in 2013 for that scene. But back then it was really just boutique yoga studios. Apart from that, the 24 seven gym craze was still coming in. So to push out a new form of fitness in terms of Pilates, as I said, it was rehab back then. Yeah. So to tell people, A, about Pilates anyway, because still no one had a clue about what Pilates was, yeah. the amount of questions like, is it like yoga? Well, it's no, but um, <laughs> you know, let, let's move on. Males especially had no idea, mm. hadn't even heard the word Pilates. It was something, you know, their, their partners or their wives might have done. So it was really, really hard, A, to come into a market that it was non-existent. The price points we've, we played around with at the start, again, that was quite difficult. But, again, we, we just slowly pushed through, pushed through. So I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. The average studio in Australia comes in at about 38, 42,000 in revenue per month. My first yeah. month was 1,800. My mm. second was 3,200. After my first year, I think we built up to 14,000 something. So, you know, I paid myself $200 a week. I drove my dad's car, lived with my parents. Yeah. You know, my mum my and, and my wife, Andy, now, uh, we started seeing each other that year. So she would help me, that would help me wash the towels at nighttime, you know, up at 4.30, home at 10. Press repeat, do it all again the next day. I'd slept on the couch in the studio during classes in the day to catch some Z's. And, um, you know, my studio there, which I thought was awesome, yeah. my sister's living room couch, my sister's dining room table was my reception desk. Everything was borrowed. Everyone was on a shoestring. But, I, you know, I, we thought it was awesome. So first year, crazy, worked our asses off. But we're really lucky as well in timing, and I think business is all about timing too. After the first year, the massive craze of jump on it, scoop ons, all of those group buying mm. went crazy. So January 2011, just before 12 months of the studio, we did a deal and it was great to get our name out there to the huge masses that were on these databases back then. Yeah. We completely ripped ourselves off. It was $29 for five sessions. I think we took $8 of that 29 oh They took the rest. But saying that we don't pay our trainers whether there's a full class or the class is half full. So to have those spots free and to fill them with people to provide that experience really worked well for us. So mm. we doubled our revenue in the next month after that and from there kind of went on. Studio 2 was a bit of a game for me. I knew that if people, if I opened Studio 2, people thought the studios were going great and, you know, classic case of it's off the back of the profits of the first, couldn't be any further from the truth. I mean, we were starting to go well with Melbourne, but the second studio was still a bank loan again on the yeah. guarantor of my father. And funny that, he put the uh, the family beach house down as, guaran- uh, as the guarantee oh. So not only did I have my father and my mother to to hold accountable to, but my siblings, I'm the youngest of five. So if I really stuff this up, my, my, my brothers and sisters were going to kill me. Um, That's a good so motivation th- for them to chip in and start helping as well. It though. is. Yeah, well, <laughs> correct. <laughs> correct. And, and they, were, they were great supports for me in, in the early years as well. My dad helped me do the books for, you know, 18 months and um, my mum was always there to support me and, and my brothers and sisters, you know, were really great in supporting as well. So, and then... Studio Two came from that. One of my trainers in, in Studio Two, um, Ali Sensor, she came along straight away and saw the potential and said, "How do I get involved?" At that stage, I knew that I was going to franchise, mainly from London and mm-hmm. the trainers going off and opening their own studios, still have no idea about business. Yeah. And our clients in London used to come to me saying, "Hey, I want to open a studio with you. Will you be the head trainer?" So I knew that the internal of those two methods were what's going to grow the business. So hence franchising, I knew would be the way to go. Um, I hadn't done the franchise documentation yet. So Ali and I decided that we would open three studios together in those 12 months. Um, Richmond, Brighton, Campbell, mm-hmm. Victoria. I would open the doors. So do everything from the build, et cetera. And then she would run the studio. So it was a 50, 50 deal that she took a little bit more in profits because she would run them, but it enabled me to get out. 
And that's when I concentrated on the franchise documentation, 2011, 2012, sold our first franchise, 2013. Pretty crazy. Guy sat me down, Warren Parker. He's no longer with us. He sold out last year, but sat me down basically and said, my wife can't get into Port Melbourne studio. You must be onto something great. Where can I sign up? Having no franchise experience as a franchisor, it's kind of like, well, the franchise fee's $50,000. And at that stage, you basically got a pretty badly written manual and Mm. me, and at the same time, fantastically, then Andy came on board as the first kind of head office franchise and systemized the entire business with her, you know, systemized brain that she has. So basically you had me, you had Andy, and hey, let's let's go and do this. So yeah. that was it. We sold our first three franchises in 2013, got us to, I think, nine studios then. The next year, sold a couple as well. And then the boom kind of hit, I think, 14, 15 or 15, 16, we sold 30. 35. Myself and Annie moved to Sydney for 18 months in 2014-15 to open the first flagship in Surrey Hills, which we still have. And um, the kind of rest is is history. Uh, Mm -hmm. From that and from us moving to Sydney, all the other states basically have become a success from trainers in either Victoria or Sydney moving there. Mm. And, And with them, they don't only take the concept, they take the culture of KX. You know, Adelaide's absolutely cranking. I think there's about 15 or 17 studios there. You know, WA, Queensland are coming on really well and Sydney's going crazy as well. And, again, Julia, who owns two studios in Hobart, um, a Victorian client as well from way back when. So it's all, it's all really organically grown and it's just some amazing people we've got around us. Got a few questions in there for some of that. It's just, yeah, congrats. It's really amazing. So within year three, it sounds like you, you pretty much stepped out of sort of day-to-day ops within those first studios? Like, are you still, were you still one of the trainers? Were you doing any of that? Were you fully back in, I'm running, I'm growing this business from 2013? I still trained in Melbourne. Melbourne was my baby yeah. and still is my baby. So I was still a trainer there for a couple of classes a week. I think I stopped training when we moved to Sydney. We had no trainers when we opened. So I basically did every single class on the schedule for the first six weeks Yeah. while our trainers were getting trained up. And that's when I kind of went, I'm done. Yeah. I think there's only, well, my passion's also moved to business and helping others open their own businesses. So, you know, my passion's always been through people. It started in the gyms with helping people achieve their goals and, and their full potential in, in what they could achieve in their fitness. And then it moved to business and really helping people achieve their dreams and opening their own business. So, mm. and I think in my personal experience, there's only so many classes that you have inside of you. And from three years in London, four or five years in, in Australia, you know, I can literally turn a chair around in a back corner with my eyes closed and teach a class. It's just, there's just scripts coming out of my head. I still love teaching the occasional one here, one there for like mm. founders days or, or studio openings, but any more than two and I'm kind of pulling my hair out. It's just something mm. that I did so often. So yeah. yeah. How do you keep that consistency through like with that sort of speed of growth? And you mentioned that Ali's doing a lot of the, was it Ali, sorry, or Andy that's doing Yeah, Ali. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Ali it's was the first. Yes. Ali was our first studio owner as a partnership. Yeah. There's now in Jersey. Andy, my wife, systemized the entire business. Yeah. Beautiful. So is that, I mean, is it is it a lot of Andy's systems that have been able to maintain the consistency through each studio? I've been to a lot of KXs myself and there is just that, that cultural consistency, the consistency, different trainers, you know, different routines, but they always have their own kind of spin on it that feels yeah. quite natural as well. How do you maintain that at that sort of speed of growth? There's two different stuff. One is the studio fit out, studio builds, 
the systems, the processes, all the back end. Yeah. It's just time and mm-hmm. you need the right person to do that. I was, I'm the big picture thinker. You know, I run after shiny new objects where Andy is literally systems processed. Everything has to be perfect. I still am baffled by the way her brain works. I've never mm-hmm. met anyone like it. You know, just recently in the last six months, we've had to hire four people just to take over her role when we just had our our, um, our newborn uh, in the last seven weeks. So that was attempted multiple times but um, and failed, failed more than once. But in terms of the trainers, you know, our training academy, which you know, I was also really lucky, Amy Skinner's our head of, head of training. She worked with me over in London. She mm. came to Australia for a holiday in 2010 when I had one studio and I kind of just sold her my dream and I said I need someone like you because she's just so obsessed with Pilates and so amazing at education and, and teaching the trainers. She moved out in 2011 and we sponsored her and she she's never looked back. So the academy, though, is a, a seven-week, 100-hour academy we put all of our trainers through. It teaches you all the fundamentals of KX, the sequencing, the eight points of teaching, like everything to do with it. But at the same time, what it doesn't teach you to do is become a robot. We really talk about bringing your own personality out. And again, we learned that firsthand because you come to one of my classes and you might love it, but you go to one of Amy's classes and you might not like the way that she teaches. Do you still get a great class at the end of the day? You do, but the experience is completely different. And people's personalities are completely different. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting when we get a complaint about a trainer, we sit back and go, okay, what's the complaint about? Is it about their personality or the how they conducted themselves or were they rude or was it just you just don't mesh with their personality in the class setting? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to training, you know, some people, are, I was a loud trainer. No, I'm an extrovert at heart. I danced around the room, you know, pumped the music up, but, you know, I've got a guy, David, who's been working for me for years. He's the most quiet, timid guy ever. And on a Sunday morning, people love him because they come in, they've had a few wines and up before. They don't want to be screamed at. You know, and, and his classes have been full on a Sunday, you know, for the last 10 years. So it just dictates what, what you want as out of a trainer. And especially with a lot of our clients came from a world where they didn't like gyms. They didn't like the competition or people staring at them. And so they wanted just to be talked to normally and and softly spoken to and and so there's ways of of bringing that out so the structure is always the same in the academy but we really talk about you know bringing out your personality yeah awesome i want to talk more about you know this innovation story because it was shortly before covid you moved into the role of chief innovation officer or that large innovation role you took a couple of trips out to china yeah. We're doing a big R&D piece, you know, what What we're going to be the, our next unique reformer machines. Can you tell us a little bit sure. about that process, where that's got to and where you're taking it now? I'll start step back a little bit just because yeah. I think it's really important because I learned some really hard lessons in 2013 because I free franchise fees came in uh, and I was like, oh, got some money. And to me, it was never about me making money. It was all about what I could provide out. So at that stage, I had this grand idea for KX to be this, you know, the KX group to be the corporate. At that time, we were selling territories, now really large territories. And then, you know, the ballet bar um, was really doing well overseas. And I was doing a lot of trips overseas. So then we came back and we opened KX Bar. So everything was slightly different to what was happening overseas. So we KXified that style. You know, the next spot came available next door to my, um, so bar was great in six studios in Melbourne. Spot came available next to the Melbourne studio and I was doing, you know, hot yoga at the time, but I hated the fact that 
I was doing it wrong. I'm not a yogi, but no one was correcting me. So I wanted mm. Melbourne's first assisting yoga studio to be ours. So KX Yoga was born. Again, Soul Cycle was going massive overseas, and and Ali, she was super super passionate about it. So KX Cycle was born. So KX Retreats came on in 2012, going to Bali and stuff like that. So it was kind of like instead of the focus being on, we innovated outside of what we were good at. Mm. Um, and they were all successes in their own right. But while Pilates was already on this exponential curve. You know, we'd already grown KX Pilates for three years where these ones were a little bit slow. And when we started moving into into Sydney, you know, the KX group as such, clients were like, well, where's KX Bar? Where's KX Yoga? And obviously that was still in the infant stages. So to us, it didn't make sense. And my focus and passion was always Pilates. So I loved opening things and opening businesses, but then the hard work that had to come in afterwards, you know, was lost. And I had some amazing trainers and some amazing managers that worked alongside of me that made them successful in their own rights. But in terms of aligning with Cakes Pilates in the growth trajectory that it was going, it just wasn't going to be, um, or it was going to take a lot longer. So we decided just to make the call and we basically just, um, we debranded all of them off and sold them all off. And then our focus went back to KX. So it's interesting now because I go, well, if I didn't do that, where would we be today? Yeah. But saying that I, I had to learn the hard way. And it was also a conference that I went to in America where the whole innovation keynote was about innovating within. You know, it was about the guy who owns Just Cuts got up and he's got 1,500 studios in America going, we cut hair, we don't serve coffee, yeah. we don't do this, we don't do that, we cut hair and, and, and how we innovate is our systems and our mm-hmm. experience and blah, 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 it kind of went on. It kind of was a light bulb moment and that was in about 2016. So I was like, cool, how can Cakes Pilates innovate within? And that's where, it, you know, my dream was always to make our own machine. From the very early days, you know, our concept came Dynamic Pilates came from Sebastian Legree, who he has now his own Legree method in and kind of dropped the word Pilates off. You know, we are always, we've always been Pilates and we always will be high intensity dynamic Pilates. But I watched him kind of make his own machines in the early 2010s and probably earlier um, with his style of fitness. And I realized us being separate to the Pilates industry and being on that high and, and the fitness kind of level, we needed our own machine. It also opened my eyes when I started looking at international expansion. We had some big investors come to us and saying, unless you have your own your own concept machine that no one can copy, yeah. it's kind of pointless going into the Asian markets because, you know, they copy everything really quickly and, and, and they'll grow faster as well because they'll get investment on fast and, and copy you straight away and become bigger. So it was probably from that 2016 where, where the kind of the hunt was on. I went to my current manufacturer, Balanced Body, who are you know, the, probably the number one fat manufacturer in the world out of America, but we were just too small then. And their production lines were pushing out generic machines. So they were kind of like, no, no thanks. You know, it's a nice idea, but it's not really worth our time. So that's when I started looking at more bespoke companies out of China. So long story short, it was three years, three prototypes at that stage, <laughs> uh, multiple trips to China, probably about a quarter of a million in R&D, a lot of my time, and we bought it out. But funnily enough, when you have a Chinese model versus an American model, and again, put into perspective, in the world of balanced body machines, if there's a problem with any of them, they find them in cake studios. Like we absolutely pound our machines. Mm. We've got some studios have 10 classes a day, seven days a week, just that churn plus the, our high-intensity style. These things break and, well, they don't, they don't usually break, but if they're going to break, that's where you find them. So we threw them into studios, 55 studio um, machines went into studios in the 2019, 2018. 
you know, and straight away there were just niggles from left, right and centre. Like they worked as a whole, but there were just little problems that I knew I wasn't happy with. And at this stage as well, China was on the cards and I had a bit of bartering power. Jakarta's lottery open. So that's when we went back to um, to Balanced Body saying, hey, how about it now? And, and uh, thankfully, Ken, who's the CEO and founder of Balanced Body, kind of saw, again, saw that dream that I was pushing and that we were going to be bigger than just, I think we were 22 studios when I first talked to him. You know, we we're pushing 60 and in two countries. So the conversation kind of pushed on. And, and all the last year in COVID, I was basically testing two more prototypes. And again, instead of going back to the drawing board, we've hybrided one of his machines. We already knew successful. We already knew had patents already um, and were copyrighted. And we just kind of added our inventive touches to it. And voila, I think Mm -hmm. next month, the complete, complete, complete final model goes into studios. We've got about 250 currently in studios with just minor retrofits that will, will occur that you know, if unless you're an engineer, you wouldn't even know the difference between the new ones coming out next month and, and the current ones that uh, they've been fantastic, phenomenal achievement. And it's kind of box ticked. Mm. International prospects are amazed now and really happy. And also being behind Balanced Body, Balanced Body being behind us is, you know, the biggest manufacturer of the world. There comes a lot of power. It comes a lot of money to fight people who do want to copy. So that's mm. also great for us as a brand that, moving up into Melbourne and we call them the KX Copycat Studios. They basically just had a new brand and did everything we did. Now you can't go to another studio to have that same experience with with those machines. So, um, and that's really powerful for IP and for the brand and moving forward as well. So, yeah, it's exciting. So exciting. Can you tell us what the new patented machines, what do you think the experience is going to be or the difference in the experience compared to now? sure. So we've probably got over 20 new features um, on the new machine that will offer an, uh, different to our old machine. But it really enables – there's three sort of things. There's variety. I think variety is a client, especially being 11 years in market. You know, changes need to happen in our training. So not only variety for our clients, but variety for our trainers as well. I think after a certain amount of time teaching – similar classes we do freestyle our classes so they're not always set the same but you know you do get a little bit uh what's next for me so this is really exciting for our trainers to really get around and you know and just saying that in 2010 i think we had something like 500 exercises in the cakes academy and just in the last 10 years with creativity of our trainers which we give like mm. we've got thousands now so you know we've probably added an extra 100 exercises to our repertoire but i guarantee in another five years put another zero on that of what we can do. A lot of it's up the top end of the machine. We've put some some more bars where the ropes come out of and an, another platform. So that just adds a whole whole level of what, what else we can do. It really elevates also our intensity of what we can do in our workouts because in KX, there's very minimal rest. So we sequence our exercises a lot of the time, upper body, lower body, upper body, or we throw abs in the middle. But while one body part is resting, we can train something else. So to have this element up the top end, creates so much more to do there so it's a variety intensity and just exclusivity that you just can't go anywhere else to to have the same experience at kx in a kx world uh, workout now so they're the three main things that we're super excited about yeah and plus it just looks beautiful michelle it's amazingly exciting i mean the, the whole story is so interesting from even an innovation theory perspective so when you think you know and you just mentioned there that concept of learning at that conference to innovate from within. And I think so many organisations battle with this challenge every single day in every size, you know, where it's 
you think about your horizons of innovation and your sort of your core existing offers, existing customers, and then adjacent, you know, do I want new customers? Do we go with a new offer or an even transformational? And I think, you know, you've even just said I'm a visionary, shiny object type personality. And it's it's so tempting, you know, in that role to want to chase those shiny objects or always just want to trace transformation, always trying to get to that next thing. It's almost, um, there is sort this narrative sometimes in business that we also need to be constantly reaching for that in order to be really successful and to do really well. So I just, you know, it's more of a statement, I guess, than a question, but I'm just, you know, I really respect that approach. And it's so good to see that growth coming from that core innovation. Like let's go back to what we are the best at and then look at every aspect of the business that we can innovate. I mean, you've still done something that's fairly transformative with this patented instrument, yeah. which is amazing as well, on this yeah. new bed that is potentially quite transformational. And then even the opportunities that that's going to give you then to be able to change up, as you said, some of the variety in the exercises, which is exciting. But yeah, what do correct. you think? The question, I guess, is, you know, will you stay in that kind of innovating within the business or are you starting to think, okay, we might be ready to go out further? Is that yeah, it's interesting happens? because, you know, I got to 2017 and I realised I didn't want to be CEO anymore. I wasn't good at it in terms of my personal innovation. I sat back and went, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And I, I've always been a person that focuses on my strengths and kind of accepts my weaknesses. So CEO was something that I just knew. I loved the early days. I loved the, the relationships and the connections that I had with my early adopters and my first followers. But when you get to a big enough size, you just can't have that relationship with that many people. And I wasn't equipped to do so. And I, again, I went, well, what do I love? I love innovation. I love growth. And it's so easy, you said before, to follow that shiny thing. And I learned the hard way and it was, I thought, expensive lessons back in the day. But to really focus and be patient in what you're doing, opportunity lands on your doorstep every day. And you, it, it's, it's really easy to say yes. It's so easy to say yes. But the really hard thing is to say no to everything and you really just pull something out and go, that's what we're going to focus on and that's what we're going to focus so much time and energy on until it becomes successful, whether that takes us six months or five years. Once that's successful, then go off and do something. And time and time again, I see entrepreneurs go, ah, oh, I mean, I've got 10 businesses. It's yeah. like my head blows up when I think that because <laughs> I had four and I sucked at three of them. So my focus has become successful at one. And then now, you know, fast forward 11 years, the innovation piece at the moment kind of sits. And don't get me wrong, we're always innovating. Like our website has got relaunched yesterday, which is amazing. We changed over systems two years ago. Our academy in COVID pushed us to a national online academy first up before you go into to states to do your one-on-one training. So the business is always innovating, but now we 100% look in. Now it's about once we're uh, we happy with where we are, now where else can we go? Mm. So, you know, now we're sitting back going, you know, internationally is, is, is a really big prospect for us because not only are we, are we at that stage, and don't get me wrong, 98% of our focus is still 100% in Australia, our growth here. But, you know, if, if we can bottle what we've done in Australia and, and sell it to other countries and get the right partner, you know, we feel it can be a real success, especially post-COVID with everyone having fitness and health at the front of mind. You know, education for us is huge. We have such an amazing education piece in the KX Academy at the moment. And I know for a fact that competing brands are now secretly sending trainers to us to get trained up, thinking they're going to work for KX and then jumping back. And 
you know, that's totally cool. Like I'm not, yeah. although some might see it as unethical, like that's flattering that we, mm. they think that we have the best reformer training in Australia. So how do we bottle that and how can we sell that to, yeah. you know, so many of our clients, they don't want to even be a Pilates trainer, but they would do the training. So how do we do that? And we're talking about now of how, how we section that up and push that out in the coming years. Um, you know, apparel, I think we've got such a big brand following and, and we've got such great relationships with the, the big brands as well out there. How can we do some, some joint things with them to really push that out? Um, so there's so much opportunity on the table. And these pillars aren't new. These pillars have been my three pillars for probably five or six years, but it's about going, we're still focusing hundred percent in Australia, but what's going to be next? Mm. I can't tell you what it is because the innovation piece was just so important in my life for, for four years. Um, and, and that's Selena's kind of call now as CEO of where she wants to take the business and what arms, but yeah. personally now i think covid really opened up the doors for for where i sit in the business i think because the the kx former project came to an end i really felt a need for me to get back involved and kind of spread the love and and lift the culture in kx i felt you know the last 10 years we've really been focusing on growing the company and my personal approach for the next 10 years is to grow our people and how to do that is you know you know we, we launched an internal piece called belong to something better and that's just about myself and our team providing value back to our owners. So that comes in forms of interviews, articles, learnings, and that goes out probably on a two or three week basis of just giving back to our owners. You know, some of our owners are the most successful small business owners in Australia. Mm. Like, as I said before, the average is 38 to 42. We've got some studios pushing 65 to 80,000 revenue a month it's just yeah. insane and they're not doing that just by following the guidelines it's everything else they're doing mm. that is just so amazing of the experience they're providing to their clients and and the training that they're doing with their trainers i interviewed an owner last year from adelaide that spends twenty thousand a year on training and development from his trainers now yeah. a normal franchise people will walk in and go well hang on a minute i pay my royalty you guys should do the rest but these yeah. guys are literally taking everything that we don't offer out by themselves and going how can i now make it more successful than than it ever could be so they have so much value trapped inside of them uh, mm -hmm. and i'm trying to pull that out so i'm almost being the interview interviewer in a lot of the cases um, but i'm just passionate and really excited about what our network knows and how we can share that and give back for us all to to lift up so yeah it's exciting time at the moment for for the brand in general but especially for my role as you know i throw the chief on there just to make it sound you know <laughs> yeah. um, not chief on anything chief culture yes, it's but, really um, i mean it's yeah. not that's extremely important you know at the size company that you're at being able to create and we just talked about that idea of consistency across you know all of the franchises and everyone feeling really supported and also connected and I would even imagine you know a year like last year probably made that feel ever more important how can each of yeah. the different business owners learn from each other how you know different regions are getting through some of these challenges can you talk to a bit of that because I know last year was I read that at the peak when everything shut down you know, revenue was down about 98%. It would have just been, you know, pivot was just the word of the year, wasn't it? But, I mean, you guys have a legit pivot and yes. took everything online and, you know, responded as fast as you can. I'm sure some of those assets are probably, you know, still paying dividends now. But just talk to me a bit how, about how your thinking evolved last year and some of those lessons learned that you're taking yeah, forward. Yeah, sure. Look, it was... Um... 
think it was the 23rd. I'm getting muddled up with my dates now. I think it was the 23rd of March when we shut down. So 8 p.m. or 6 p.m. We heard the news that the next day was going to be locked. It was really weird because I, I a cruising mentality is like, oh, that's all right. I suppose there's not much we can do. We're locking down tomorrow. Selena's like, she'd never been in, you know, in this crisis mode before. So she's like, oh, well, let me know what I can do kind of thing. And the next morning we woke up, Andy's like, there is so much to do. We have so much to do. So it was great for our relationship, first, firstly, because Andy just went, this is all me in terms of she was all systems and IT last year so she's like i've got this you just look after the kids so i basically became uh i still did my founder stuff and was the face of trying to get uplifting everyone's spirits and we had some facebook groups we had champion pages and stuff for our trainers and our owners and just try to you know bring everyone together for that first lockdown she was she worked 14 hours a day i think for the first two or three months it was pretty insane but um you know after the first lockdown it was great for all the other states because everyone was working from home so our peak periods we never had anymore. So people were throwing three, four, five classes extra during the day and they were filling up. So all the other states went crazy after June. Poor Melbourne, obviously, when going back into July. It was really, really tough for us. Like 111 days was really hard. Thank God that our most established owners are probably in Victoria because mm. that's where we started. So it was great. We knew that they would push through. Our landlords came to the party government support was great so we knew that and we didn't lose any which was fantastic um uh, head office was probably affected the most being in melbourne but having to support the rest of australia we talk about that every time any state went into lockdown head office went into lockdown because they had to react straight away work crazy hours the days following that lockdown to get all the communications out and you know it really really uh, wore a lot of our guys down we probably we probably lost half the team that were working for us last year, mm. and I still say like thank you to those guys. They might be listening, but you know if it wasn't for them and you know for the hard work of the team, we wouldn't have got through. But you know the, the, we had to pull people down to like one to two days a week, but expect them to work full time. So it was mm. it was it was pretty crazy, and that's when probably coming in at October, November, you know, probably the lowest of the low. Well, probably is before that September, October, just before we got out. That I just realised that the, the whole feeling around the company was really shit. All the other states were were probably pissed off that they weren't getting the support that they should have from Victoria or from head office that they usually did. The Victorian owners were obviously battling homeschooling and loss yeah. of income and being closed for so long, and it was just a real time for us to draw the line and say, right, this is where I want to show my face a lot more again and really come back into kind of uplift everyone's spirits and bring this culture back of, you know, head office staff in the past are like, this is the best company I've ever worked for and I love coming to work every day. Owners were like, this isn't a job. This isn't like owning the business is so much fun and such a lifestyle decision and, and just that those amazing feelings just weren't there. And, and yes, it was all to do with COVID and et cetera, but it was just a really good time to go, right, what can we give back and, and how can we get out of this? And I think the message was heard really, really well and it's been great. I mean, Melbourne was hard as well because we lost a lot of trainers. They either moved back into the country or they they, they did their own thing. And so we, we it was hard coming back out of Melbourne, but, um, you know, it was we're back now to, to where we were pre-COVID. So I think if we just delete the COVID year from the whole business, although it was hard, the lessons have been learnt, but... Um, yeah, I mean, for us personally, again, I think growing a business, you just become resilient. So it was mm. after, I mean, the, the first night of me going, oh, we'll be okay. We kind of just, you know, concentrated and got into how we're going to get shit done mode, which we'd just done so many times before with, yeah. you know, we had COOs leaving in the past and we had to jump back in. And so Annie and I have jumped back in in crisis mode many times. So, and after the first lockdown as well, Selena really got into the, into the groove as well. 
to really drive through. So we all came together really good in the end. But, um, mm. yeah, fingers crossed, you know, seven days now. <laughs> That's it. We get back to doing what we were doing yesterday. So Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm happy just to let them do it this time, get it done. Yep. Hey, um, so just to wrap up, I, you know, this is the new role, Chief Cultural Officer. It's a big one. What's your big vision for this role? Where do you want to take things in this role? And To me, it's just providing value to our owners. I don't think it's a it's not getting bigger. I think it's literally just like, where do I sit in the business? I'm still very much passionate about innovation. I've got a young family, which is another reason why I stepped out as CEO. You know, again, it was never about money for me. So if, if I can spend every day taking my kids to school, picking my kids up from school, my daughter's not in school for another two years. My youngest daughter just got born. So she's got a while. Oh, congrats. So while, while they're young, um, and my son's only in prep. So while they're young, it's amazing for me to be able to um, be the dad. I, I love the saying, a businessman. I'm not a businessman with a family. I'm a family man with a business. And again, Andy's stepping to the side of the business as well to have our third child as well. So it's a great place where we are at the moment. So all I want to do is just give back to our owners. I started a kind of a founder's tour. And then the last year, I went to a few states just to teach a couple of classes and kind of spread the buzz in the atmosphere, which I really love doing. I still love connecting with clients you know, so it's it's just about being around. I mean, Selena and the team, our new team, our old team were amazing, but our new team she's hired are just so phenomenal. So I'm really excited where we can get to with our new team who have just so much experience. I think COVID was great to push people out of their, their roles last year. So she's attracted some amazing talent. So the, the growth of, I think, Australia can easily get up to 150 and beyond over the next five years. Mm-hmm. International for us is really exciting. So China, we've, we've actually got about 12 studios open in China now. We're, we're trialling a few different models in personal training studios, standalone like we have in Australia. Postnatal um, recovery centres are huge in China. There's like 2,500 of them where women go for three months post-baby to kind of get their bodies together. So looking how we can work in with them. They so that's super exciting for three months. Well. They do, yeah. And even the lower to middle class, they save up for their life so that when they do have a baby, and that's what I think the you know, family environment over there is just so much more placid because those first couple of months that are so stressful, you know, these women just basically get their bodies back together and the baby is brought to them to connect and to feed and then taken away and off they go recovering. So it's yeah. it's a really interesting world that uh, is over there. But um, no, my business partner over there has got some great experience in the fitness industry, so it's really exciting to see where cakes can go there under potentially different models. And then just look to go where to next. You know, New Zealand can't be far away. Canada's another hot spot and still, um, you know, Southeast Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, those really exciting countries that, um, you know, the expat and the kind of the Western culture are kind of mixed in. We're still in a very much an Australian brand over there. So as much as they, they'll kind of localise it to their market, they'll still be very much sold as an Australian brand, which is really exciting. So, and again, those kind of pillars that I talked about, it's kind of which one and where are we going? And that's kind of what we're deciding on now, of what we'll go down and how we can go about it. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting what, where we can go to. And it's, um, our job is now just to oversee it. You know, we sit on the board and we kind of just direct Selena and help Selena with the, the day-to-day running in the business. But, yeah, so the cultural officer, it's, it's just a, it's a bit of giving back, really, yeah. to the owners that have just given so much to be a part of the network. No, good on you. Actually, I'm going to throw in one bonus question that's just a sure. to me. I'd love to know. So you're a big learner. You've talked about, a, you know, a few of the conferences. I've read you sort of speaking about, you know, some of that learning that you've done throughout some of the tricky times in the business and getting inspiration. Where do you go now for that kind of inspiration? 
fiction podcast books. Do you have time for any of that with three little ones? Where do you kind of? I tell you know what I've had. I've just actually forgotten. Uh, it's called BE 2.0 by mm. uh, he wrote Good to Great. What's his name? I've just gone absolutely blank. Uh, Good to Collins? Great, built to last. Jim Collins. He's just yeah. redid this book and it's been sitting on the front seat of my car for like four months. I just can't get any time to read. So podcasts I do go to and I exercise. I listen to a lot of podcasts. But I'm involved in an entrepreneurs organisation, um, which mm. is a global entrepreneurs business kind of group that's worldwide. I joined that in 2014. So I'm yeah. very much ingrained in that. And But my learning comes from, from people. So through that and through just my connections, I ask so many questions and I learn so much from people doing that. So, for instance, you know, like internationals looking on the cards for us, we just bring in the franchisors who I know have international experience and we kind of learn from them, learn from their mistakes. That's the best way I learn is through people because that's how I can connect. My my biggest thing is connecting through people. So, And same thing, I I love giving back to anyone who who has any questions and who's starting out a franchise or starting out a small business and that sort of stuff. So I think mentorship and and business advisory is huge on my list of how how I kind of get there but experience as well I mean still trialing you know just knowing that you're not going to get it all right knowing that failure is just learning um and learning never stops for us and I think the whole philosophy around Kaizen and continuous improvement is ingrained in me it's ingrained in my wife Mm. it's ingrained in Selena it's ingrained in head office and the entire company that we're not going to just be still and, and flat I think you know, the classic, if you don't innovate, you die, especially in the fitness industry, it's moving crazy. But at the end of the day, we are group performer Pilates in a high intensity or dynamic method. That's never going to change. Just how we innovate around our entire world is just what is to come. So mm, such a great summary, actually, on all things innovation to talk about that experimenter's mindset. And that has been really consistent through your whole story. So that just learning being not being comfortable with the failure, but just dealing with, you know, the small ones and picking it up and keeping on going. So, yeah, well done. Uh, This has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on here, Aaron. It's been amazing. And just on that topic as well of sort of mentoring, um, Aaron's really kindly provided some of his social media links. So we will pop those on there um, for anyone who wants to follow your story and keep in touch as well. Awesome. Thank you very much, Fiona. Appreciate it. Thanks again. 